0: Hey guys, before we start the show today, I wanted you to hear this part first, stripping down all the pomp and circumstance, all the music and uplifting energy, and the what's up doll fans, all of that. And I want to talk to you as someone that has been on this ride with all of you for the last 25 years, give or take. So I've been absolutely nuts about this team since I was a teenager, and they were always the team that I followed, but when you grow up in a town with a team that has four Hall of Famers on it, like the 1990 Seattle Mariners had, that's your primary focus. And as I got older and started to appreciate sports more than just being a wide-eyed kid watching with stars in my eyes, football became my thing. And the Miami Dolphins became everything, not just in sport, but in hobbies and interest. It was the Miami Dolphins. And I just wanted to reflect on the last 20 or so years as a fan, because as this season goes in a direction that... I don't think anybody saw going this way through six weeks. I find myself reflecting as a fan. And I mentioned the Mariners because current Mariners outfielder Mitch Haniger wrote a tremendous letter in the Players' Tribune earlier this week talking about the 11-3 finish the Mariners had this season that put them in position to qualify for the postseason on the final day of the regular season. They had to have a win, and they had to have a Yankees or Red Sox loss. Had they done that, they would have ended the longest playoff drought in American professional sports at 20 years. But they didn't. They lost. They came up short. And Mitch reflected upon that. Upon carrying the weight of the 20-year playoff drought and how even though that 20-year drought wasn't the current player's burden to carry, it also was because they wore the star, the nautical star on their hat. That's the Mariners logo. And I say that as a precursor to to absolve anyone in this building of past performances because those should not be attached to anybody that's here now. Players and coaches now should not be held accountable for what happened in 2006. They can only control what happened since their arrival, but that's why I come to you as a fan of this Miami Dolphins franchise, a fan who cried tears of joy when they beat the Jets in 2008 to win the AFC East. Literal tears of joy. A fan who earlier that year went way out of character, way off script by putting a hole In my bedroom door, it was flimsy cheap wood. Don't worry about that. But I put a hole in that bedroom door when Matt Schaub converted a fourth in goal in that game on a quarterback draw to beat Miami with the Houston Texans. A fan who has received Dolphins-themed Christmas and birthday gifts every year since I can remember. I don't need any more Dolphin socks, guys. This is tough. It's deflating. Is the word I keep coming back to. It feels like every time this team has built momentum over the last 20 years, It dissipates in the most gut-wrenching fashion. After that 08 season, quarterback gets hurt. The Dolphins win seven games, and the young quarterback, who would possibly be the future, really struggled in his place. We later find out he was never the guy for anybody. Before 08, the last winning season was 2005, not that long ago before that. And the next year, our coach didn't leave to Alabama, and the Dolphins won six games, and the free agent quarterback acquisition blows up in our face while the guy we didn't sign goes on to a Hall of Fame career. Before that, 2003, a 10-win season, didn't make the playoffs, but it was a good football team. That was followed up by a shocking retirement by the best player on the team and one of the best players in the National Football League, a consequent coaching fire, and a 4-12 season. After 2008, it took a lot longer, but 2016, 10 wins, playoff appearance. How do you follow that up? 2017, the quarterback suffers a second ACL injury inside of a calendar year before the season even starts. Six wins. Then 2020, 10 wins, a team that established an identity as a strong defensive team that could take the life force out of imposing offense, turn the football over, put the clamps on third down, rush the quarterback, play tight man coverage, and win in all the small areas and be disciplined and find their way to victory through the things that make a football team great together. And then they have a great offseason, a draft that everybody praises, a free agency class that fixes a bunch of perceived holes on the roster. National media starts talking about you, giving you some hype, and you're 1-5. We are a 1-5 football team, and we have to wear that. We just lost to a team that hasn't won a game since week one of last year. 20-game losing streak they busted today. That's a bitter pill to have to swallow. And as we go forward and search for answers, I get how you're feeling. Football is supposed to be something we do for fun, right? It's an escape from everyday monotony. Some franchises stay in that winning spotlight for years, decades even. Others find short bouts of success for a couple year period and they go back into obscurity. Others have a pop-up year here or there. Maybe they even make a deep playoff run. But for us, for the fans that bleed Aqua and Orange so much that we fight about it on Twitter, that we come out here and watch them practice, we deck out an entire room or garage in our house full of Dolphins memorabilia, those moments of success and joy have been way too fleeting for way too long. One solid year, which ends in a first-round playoff drubbing typically, and then it's back to not knowing what's going to happen in the future. Right now, at 1-5, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. It's not good right now. There's plenty of season left to go. But all of that is why this is so painful and why you are demanding answers. Everybody wants to know why. How does it get better? Maybe you don't want that right now. Maybe you want to be upset and let all these emotions come out in anger and sadness, emptiness as a football fan. And you know, we know that a game of football is much bigger than a game to you, the football fan. Whatever emotion you want to feel, you're certainly within your rights to feel that way. I'll never tell you how to be a fan of this team. Do your thing, man. But gosh, it's been a tough go. And I just want you guys to know that the most important thing among this entire community of Dolphins fans is the community itself. And regardless of the results, I'll forever be thankful for the relationships and opportunities afforded to me because of this team, this organization, and this sport. But yeah, this sucks. (laughs) It sucks so bad. I want to bring you that upbeat, positive show where we can talk about all the great things we just saw, all the great plays and great players and great long term outlook. But for five weeks, it just hasn't been the case. So we forge on. Let's get to the show here. We'll have the five takeaways and then we'll get out. Let's go ahead and play the music and get this thing going. Back control looking. Deep pattern. Downfield touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. Five. What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we did the monologue off the top. Why don't we go ahead and jump right in to the five takeaways from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins So we had the opening monologue, so if you fast forward the opening part of the show every single week, go ahead and go back and check that out. That was a big part of the show. So hit that rewind button a few times to get a nice little state of the diehard Dolphins fan right now. And for the takeaways, I want to spin it back to what we took away from this game in particular, and maybe we'll discuss next steps as we get to the end. We'll see how much time we have and how we feel. We might pump that to another episode. We start here with takeaway number one, which is playing within small margins. And the Dolphins, I thought on Sunday, improved their ability or opportunity to win within those small margins to stay on schedule, which I thought flipped everything with an efficient day from the quarterback and the offense as far as putting up yardage and moving the football average yards per play. It flipped everything from time of possession, 33 minutes to 27 minutes for Jacksonville. 68 plays for Miami, 62 plays for Jacksonville. Miami outgains Jacksonville, 431 to 396. On third down, Miami goes 9 for 17. It's a great number. Jacksonville goes three for 12, also a great number for Miami. They got the things they needed in so many areas to win the game within the capacity of the type of game they invite by their style of play. And last year, it was a master stroke with the defense setting up short fields and the special teams winning the hidden yardage battles to not get penalized, to create penalties, to get knockback on return men, to to pin teams deep on kickoffs that you pooch inside the five-yard line. And then the offense came up with timely plays, both in the run game and the passing game. But now you have other mistakes popping up that give you almost no chance of victory in a game like that. Let's talk about the entire, or how the recipe rather, and ingredients are both finding ways to come together to not succeed. A holding call that turns a second and goal from the one into first and goal from the 20. A, a very high 90s percent chance you score a touchdown in that position, right? Three plays from, a two yard, from the one yard line, analytics and... Research numbers tell you you're probably going to score from there. Then you go first and goal to 20. That number is cut significantly in half, especially when the next two plays are a two-yard rush and an incomplete screen pass to Miles Gaskin, where he's going to have to make several guys miss to even have a chance to find the end zone and get a touchdown. It's okay to kick field goals when you have a dynamite special teams and a defense that's first in every major category from third down takeaways and points throughout the course of most of last season. But that's not what this defense has been this year. Not even close. And that's before you're down Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on the perimeter, which is going to be our takeaway number two. Spoiler alert. Next drive, Albert Wilson catches a pass one yard short of the sticks on second and six, and he runs backwards, giving those three or three of those yards back, and we miss on the third and four. Punt the football. Tua misses the throw on the next drive on on third and two, but then he converts with a 20-yard pass on fourth and two to Matt Collins. And this is what I'm talking about. An instance where being aggressive, playing the numbers to your advantage, and hitting a play with your big playmakers, you can make mistakes when you have those types of plays created. And when they happen, that's a positive example of this little case study here in our first takeaway. So there was a mistake, but they corrected it by hitting on the next play. Then we drop a pass on third and goal and settle for a field goal. Next drive, Mike Kosicki runs a route one yard short of the sticks on third down, and now we have to punt again. First drive of the second half, overcome a penalty and convert on second and 14, move into Jacksonville territory and hit a big pass up the sideline to knock on the door of the red zone, but it's coming back. Offensive pass interference on Matt Collins, first and 20, run for no gain, then a tunnel screen to Waddle to set up a third and 14, no dice, punt the ball. Next drive, bing bang bong, touchdown, masterclass, looked fantastic. Next drive. Dropped pass on third and one. We lose the challenge there. There goes a timeout in one of the challenges you have. Then we punt and lose a challenge there. And that looked very, very close. But their chances, I think, of overturning that on a play that looks that close on replay, they're not going to overturn something like that. That one hurts too. But still, lost timeout, lost challenge. Next drive, Savon Ahmed drops a pass that would have given Miami a third and three. Instead, we get another route one yard short of the sticks on third and six then we run on fourth and 1 out of shotgun, Durham Smythe gets beat across his face and the bl- the block or the block does not succeed, he gets beat across his face by the opposing defender who gets in the backfield and makes a play on Malcolm Brown. Play fails. And then Jacksonville kicks a field goal after that after a quick hitter on fourth and down, fourth down from Trevor Lawrence to set up the game winning field goal from 53 yards. So how many mistakes were in there? Double digits? I mean That's no recipe for success in any form or fashion. But if you play the small margins game where you need to be really sharp in those areas and that's the type of performance you're going to get, that is going to be tough to overcome. That's one in five. Takeaway number two, the defense without Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, we know We talked about this last season. We heard Brian Baldinger talk about it, even put some of his sound on the airwaves here, where he talked about how a lot of the creativity and blitz packaging and the confidence to send extra rushers up front is because of how good this team is in the back end and coverage with Xavier Howard, with Byron Jones, with Nick Needham, with Eric Rowe. Today, both those guys are down, and they had to play a different type of game because of that, and that's that's understandable. You coach to the personnel you have, and they played, I thought, fairly well for the most part on the outside they they gave the Jaguars a lot of chances to make plays and just like we talked about in the previous segment the Jaguars made their fair share of mistakes how many missed throws did they have how many drop passes did they have especially in that first half but when you're built around those guys it's gonna be tough to win without them even when you have uh a pair of corners playing largely off coverage and giving up those cushions. I talked to Seth Levitt about this during the game when we were getting ready for the post-game show about all the second and 15s and how that seemed to be the time that Miami liked to dial up the pressure after a false start or after a negative play on first down. And that was so successful, but it was hard to get into those spots because on those first downs, there was a lot of space to be given to the Jacksonville offense. And they, for large stretches of the game, maybe even the entire game, I don't really recall his name being called barely at all, they avoided Nick Needham. And Noah Igbenogany gets himself in great position a lot. He got beat by a perfect throw on the touchdown pass from Lawrence to Marvin Jones. And then he was beaten later again where I thought he had a chance to get his head around on that penultimate Jaguars drive, I think it was. But we did see the Dolphins go back to more pressure looks late in the game when the Dolphins really had to get a stop and must have spots. We saw some exotic stuff and the pressure worked. I mean, Jerome Baker running downhill to me looks way faster than he does going side to side right now. I I don't know why, that's just what it looks like to me. You get the Emmanuel Ogbob bat down. Baker running free on the quarterback. Christian Wilkins wins around the outside of the tackle from a three-tech position where he loops around the outside and corners for a big strip sack. What a big-time play from big-time player there. There was some positive stuff. But then I keep seeing this question on Twitter. Where is the amoeba defense, Travis? Where is the guy standing up and dancing around and looking for different gaps to shoot and confuse the quarterback? We saw it all the time last year. We see it a few times this year. But I look at this defense and I continuously see these same things popping up on tape where we talked about on the podcast last week too many instances of guys covering grass there's instances where guys are misaligned pre-snap there was a play in the game last week where Jerome Baker's on the wrong side of the formation. I don't know if that's him, if that's someone telling him where to be or what the case may be. All I know is the running back's on the right side of the formation. He's on the left side, and that was the guy that he covered, and it was an easy 10 yards before he even got there to the football. There was a couple plays last week where they went unbalanced offensive line, and Brady had like three or four blockers to two or three hats in the area. That's just not being lined up in a competitive way to to compete on a football field. And if you're having issues at times getting aligned— How do you operate a complex defense that asks guys to kind of freelance and pick their way into certain gaps? Maybe freelance is the wrong word, but you get what I'm saying. It's complex to run that Amio defense. It's complex to run a gamut of twists and stunts and games up front that have linebackers looping and scraping and you have safeties filling and guys blitzing and capping off those blitzes. That's a lot of reactionary play you have to have that comes from preparation. And this is a young team for sure, but... If you can't get those other things executed, you're not going to get that executed. So basically, my takeaway is that in order to get to the complex stuff, you better be rock solid and all the other stuff. And right now, this Dolphins team just is not. Takeaway number three, look at how different the offense looked in this game. We talked about 431 yards. We've been clamoring for that for a long time. That's, that's good eating in today's NFL. And, you know, the, the, the command of the offense that Tua Tungavailoa held in this game I thought we saw it right away on the first touchdown pass of the game, the first drive of the game, a master class drive by the Miami Dolphins offense ended on a Jalen Waddle touchdown reception. Well, that's a running play. It looks like a running play to me that he checks to. You see him kind of stand up at the line of scrimmage, make a little hand signal to to Jalen Waddell. They get that thing checked to the right look. He comes with a little glance route off the RPO, off the fake handoff. It was exactly like the play in New England on first and 14, backed up in our own end, having to have a first down to extend that drive and win that football game. The exact same thing. He checks to that. Gets out of the bad run play. Gets to a positive pass play. Turns into a touchdown opposed to possibly a negative play behind the line converting third downs the Dolphins had their best third down performance of the season today two with his legs by the way talked about the time position of flipping in the other direction now instead of being on the field for 40 minutes defense is only out there for 27 minutes lengthy drives you know a 91 yard touchdown drive an 80 yard touchdown drive to start the game up and down the field to produce 431 yards hitting consistent layups getting guys the football early you saw him hit the top of that drop and the ball came out and on time gave guys a chance to create after the catch we'll talk about the yak numbers on tomorrow's podcast to me that's how the offense was supposed to look with the pieces they brought in, with the offensive line strengths they have, with the quarterback strengths he has, obviously, the rotation of running backs. To me, that was today what you want to look like as far as moving the ball from 20 to 20, and you know, we'll get the other mistakes figured out and corrected later because I thought this offense was so close to putting up 35, 42 points in this game if they just get some of those errors corrected. We talk about the third downs. How about the must have situations, the fourth quarter? On the go-ahead drive, Tua goes 6-for-6, 83 yards, and a touchdown pass on what could have been the game-winning drive if the defense held their end of the bargain. And he finishes that fourth quarter after that drive, 9-for-10 with 109 passing yards and the touchdown pass. So he played his best ball late in the game. On third down, he himself was 8-for-14 with 80 passing yards and two rushing first downs, so nine total conversions on 16 tries. And a lot of those were third and long, two on the first scoring drive under pressure even, with a hand in his face, kind of throwing a football from an off-platform off, off platform look. There was one play where he's looking down the middle of the field and he fires to the left because the footwork's not aligned because he's off the platform after being chased from pressure and he delivers a strike for a first down. A big third and six on the go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter. Utilizing Jalen Waddle, 10 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. All three of his touchdowns for both Tua and Waddle have gone from the other guy to the other guy. Getting Mike Gesicki running in space. Eight catches for 115, crossing routes, getting, going vertical with a 32-yard pass to him and just finding ways to get him on linebackers, on safeties, and creating after the catch because he's getting hit in stride. Checking to that glance route off the run look based on the spacing on that first touchdown pass. Ultimately, I think that some of the misses were just little things like communication. Like, for instance, on the one of the field goals you kick from inside the 10-yard line where Gaskin sits down his route instead of continuing up on the little angle route, That was like a little miscommunication I thought that they could iron out and possibly give themselves a touchdown pass the next time they see that. And there were a few drops again in in this game as well. Now, to me, Tua did have one big error and one big mistake. The big mistake was the interception. And after the game, he owned it. He said that was an awful decision that he should have never thrown that football. And the error was the third and two that I talked about earlier. And I actually liked the throw, the decision to put it up there. And I want to see it on tape to see what he saw because the TV broadcast didn't show me where guys were coming from. But I think we just got to hit that because I thought he had a couple guys open. The ball just kind of flew to empty space, and he gave up a first down to make that throw, but he came back and converted on fourth and two anyways. But to go over 300 yards, 33 for 47, 329 yards, two touchdowns in the the bad pick, a 95.1 passer rating, three rushes for 22 yards. To do that without Fuller, Parker, and Williams, that says something to me. But it doesn't say anything to Tua... Every time he was asked about his performance individually after the game, he said what he should have said, that we lost, and that's all that matters. But takeaway number three was I thought the offense looked better, more proficient, more efficient, and more successful, and he talked about them being close. I tend to agree with Tua about them getting closer to the ultimate finish product, but week six now in the NFL, (laughs) you don't have that much time to get it figured out, so it has to happen now. It's go time right now. Takeaway number four. The mystery of the first and fourth quarter versus the second and third quarter. We've been following this script all year long, it seems, basically going back to that Las Vegas game or even you know, even the Buffalo game where the offense had some drives early and, and bogged down. But the, the Raider game, for sure, you start out fast. The offense has some success. The big Malcolm Brown touchdown run in that Raiders game. In the Colts game, you get out to an early lead as well. And then the offense kind of disappears in the second quarter. And the defense starts to kind of come undone in that second and third quarter and the opposition scores to start the third quarter on their first drive of the game. They they close the second quarter in this drive with points at the end of the half as well. It's just been the same script of strong first quarter, strong script, offensively, defensively, getting some stops, getting some drives, getting some field goals, even touchdowns. For both of Tua's starts now, his first drive has resulted in a touchdown, uh, two for two in that regard. And then you just have this, this empty vat of space where nothing is being accomplished for the most part. And then the fourth quarter turns it back up, and it's right back to the same old stuff. The offense is hitting key third downs. The defense is getting the pressure they desire. They're getting stops. Just a weird, weird script for the game. And on that track, Jalen Waddell in this game had 12 targets. 11 of those targets came in the first and fourth quarter. He made four catches on four targets on that first drive, or in the first quarter, rather, for 29 yards and a touchdown, and only had his next catch came in the fourth quarter i don't i don't that's all i have for the takeaway it's just it's it's confusing to me i don't know why that's the case but i just think it's very curious the games keep following the same script almost every single week so far and takeaway number five is the special teams you know sanders from 58 i've seen him hit that field goal more times than i can count even in his sleep i've seen him hit from that distance no problem but it wasn't even close and you know that's three points that would have been valuable in this game and michael pilardi Less than 40 yards per punt, four for an average of 39.5, and a couple of those were kicking from around midfield, and we're not even getting a chance to down the football. It's short of the 10-yard line, and they're fair catching it, not giving you a chance at a bounce or a roll or a pin. It's... It's costing you yardage. So those are the five takeaways. Special teams are strange and not hitting well at all right now. The mystery of the first and fourth quarter versus the second and third quarter. The offense looking different under Tua tunga Loa and his performance in this game. Takeaway number two, without Byron and X, the defense is difficult to execute. And the number one takeaway, playing with small margins is difficult, especially when you make that many mistakes. So... Want to talk about a few individuals here before we get out of here on the podcast. We're not going to do a post game show today, maybe tomorrow's podcast, we'll see. But I'll tweet the link out for you guys either way so you can listen to me, Seth, and OJ kind of unpack this. But as far as the individuals that we didn't talk about in the takeaways, Christian Wilkins is certainly deserving of a nod in this game, had a big strip sack. He continues to really hold the point against the running game. I mean, the sack that he got from the three tech, which is aligned right outside the outside shoulder of your offensive guard. To go from that position to looping around the defense or the offensive tackle and corner from that defensive end position and get a strip sack is impressive, especially when you consider all his run game work that he did in this game and all season long with the tackles, the TFLs, the run-stop-win percentage. He's having a hell of a year. He's a hell of a player, and I continue to take my hat off to Christian Wilkins. I think Jalen Phillips continues to not just look the part, but you can tell by the way offenses are playing against him that he's, he's either there or he's getting there because they're doubling him. They're chipping him. They're using him as the unblocked free man to try to use the quarterback's ball handling and you know the decision on, on zone reads and RPOs and that type of thing to influence him and make him have to react rather than just play straight forward. They're doing so much on Phillips to try to negate him out of game plans, and he's doing everything from setting the edge, providing pressure on the quarterback, condensing inside. I just continue to be really impressed with his game, and he continues to get after the quarterback. So does Emmanuel Ogba. Had a couple of big plays in this game. The big sack in this one, a big bat down at the line of scrimmage. He continues to look the part off that edge. After his kind of drop-off performance last week with no quarterback pressures, he got right back to work in this one and returned to being the same Emmanuel Ogba we all know and love around here. Talked about Jalen Waddell just the way he approaches the football and makes tough catches. I know he has some drops this season, but he made a couple of tough catches in traffic in this game that I was really impressed with. And he continues to impress me. I just want to see more, just give me more Waddle. I want more and more Waddle. I want more and more Mike Kosicki. He has himself a heck of a football game in this one, just catching the ball and rambling down the field for big gains, eight for 115. What a big game that is for a tight end. I thought Robert Hunt had a lot of big time hits and blocks and Coming across the formation, wiping guys out, good in pass pro, creating space in the running game. Really made a a mention of Robert Hunt in my notes. We'll talk more about the offensive line on the All-22 podcast on tomorrow's show, so keep an ear out for that. And then Javon Holland, who I want to talk about here for a second. There was a play with Holland where he's a split safety on one side of the field, and the play goes to the opposite side of the field, and he comes all the way across the formation, basically disregarding a guy that ran through his area, and coming down and closing on a pass that Lawrence threw and getting the pass break up. And they almost flagged him for it, I think, for a – I can't remember what it was. There was there was some flag they picked up after the play. But he came from nowhere to make that play. And we saw that all the time on his organ tape where he was just relentless in his pursuit of the football to – Not just show the speed and reaction skills that he has athletically and physically, but the mental makeup to understand this route's going behind me. That means this route's going to fill this place. I'm going to come off and jump that and make a big play. We saw it all the time in Oregon. I thought we saw it a couple times in this game. We'll talk about it more on the All-22 review when you get a better look at the safeties. But I continue to be so impressed by his coverage, the way he flows downhill, his work coming around a receiver who's stationary and coming back to the quarterback. There's so many times where he could easily get that hand on the lower back and turn him and get a pass interference call or a hold or whatever the case may be. And he's just not drawing those fouls because he does it clean. And he's so adept at finding the football and the tackling, the sure tackling, the run game and you know off the football when receivers are in space. Been super, super impressed with Javon Holland's game. And he, Jalen Waddell and Jalen Phillips, and then Liam Eikenberg has had some moments as well. Those first four draft picks, I, I think you really got something there with that class. So that kind of takes us into our final topic here that I told you guys we'd talk about. As far as like where to go from here and where do you go from here to me, Seth made a great point on the podcast about how you know, we kind of got we got some, some heat on the, on the post-game show for not calling for people's heads, and that's just not something you're ever going to hear from us because that's w- well beyond our pay grades and well beyond our ability to assess who's doing what kind of job around here. So we wanted to kind of, you know, fight back on that and just in Seth's point I thought was really good to the point of you're never going to get out of this perpetual rebuild you find yourself in that we kind of talked about early in the podcast – If you don't find a system and and work through the kinks and work through some of the downfalls of whatever's going on within your organization. We've seen so many coaches, GMs, players, anyone involved in this league has had slumps, has had moments where it looked like maybe that wasn't the guy for that job, for that team, for that particular position. Whatever the case may have been, there has been a lot of those moments. I thought Seth said it well when he said that you're not going to get to where you want to go if you just repeat this rebuilding process over and over again and don't give guys a chance to find their footholds and and establish their hold on this football team. And while we get that a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars previously winless and previously winless in their last 20 games combined going to last season, yeah, that's going to, that's going to really cause some questions to be asked some hard questions about adjustments or what are you doing? That's not working because it's not working and you got to find the fix, but to just think that you're going to go out there and make wholesale changes and have it all, fix that way I think that's not realistic I think you you have to look at the man in the mirror like OJ always says and find those results internally and especially for the rest of the season it's only it's week six right now we have 11 football games left to play this year right 17 games yeah 11 games left to play this year to me that's a chance to evaluate a lot of young players this roster still has and I'm not even looking I'm not gonna look at the standings anymore because what's we're not doing that right now one in five you're not looking at the standings so what do you want to do? You want to see if this quarterback can continue to build upon the things that he showed in training camp in the preseason and week one and now week number six. I thought he's played well so far, really the entire calendar year. And George Gossie talked about him building off what he did in training camp and in preseason, and I thought we saw a continuation of that in this game. But the running back position, you have two young running backs in Miles Gaskin and Savon Aukman. What can they give you? Is Malcolm Brown a long-term fixture there? At receiver, Waddle continues to get pumped targets and continues to make catches and make plays and score touchdowns. Excited about his development. Can we get some vertical game going with Jalen Waddell? At that, at that position as well, Parker and Williams, can they come back and kind of earn, earn some of their, their keep as far as production? Because it hasn't been that this year for either of those guys with the injuries popping up here. Mike Gasicki continues to show his trajectory towards a year-by-year improvement at the tight end position. How does Liam Eichenberg progress? How does Robert Hunt progress? I thought both guys had good games today. I thought Robert Hunt was fantastic today. What else we have on the offensive line there? Michael Dieter was off to a strong start. Greg Mance has played pretty well in his place as well. On defense, Christian Wilkins continues to show you things here in year number three. Andrew Van Ginkle, I thought, had his best game of the season today. Jalen Phillips continues to show week-by-week week improvement. There are a lot of developmental players on this roster. Javon Hall in the secondary. Brandon Jones in the secondary. Nick Needham continues to play well. Noah Igbenogany got a chance today. Maybe he gets more chances going forward the linebacker position. Jerome Baker, still very young and on, a, on a contract he just signed. Can he kind of turn things around? To me, there's lots of things to look at on this team. And I know I talked about it last week about not going into evaluation mode because it's just way too early for me to do that. I understand the need and the, the release for something to think about a fix. How do you fix this mess we're in right now? Like, I understand the want and the desire to do that. I'm just not really keen on doing that I think you have to go out and figure out what's going on within your football team what's going on on this 53-man roster which guys this is you're going to find out right now gut check time we found out back in 2019 which of those guys were going to be around long term Eric Rowe was a guy that proved himself Preston Williams kind of a guy that proved himself late in that season Devontae Parker sure as hell proved himself late in that season that's kind of how you approach this season now how can they who's going to be the guys that galvanize and really are the engines that drive the turnaround, that drive victories and drive this team just playing better football right now. It's not even about victories anymore. It's about playing better football for me right now. I'm sure you know they'll tell you something different as far as coaches and players. It's all about winning. But I want to see better football because it wasn't a lot better on Sunday. You lose to the Jaguars, it's not a lot better. Let's see more consistent all three phases. Complimentary football has continued to build and get this thing better and make the program that you have right now improve. That's the best way you're going to get back into success and turn this thing around and get off this perpetual cycle we talked about in the monologue. You have to have the guys internally do it, fix it. It can happen. Go out and do it. Make it happen. That's the show. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the post-game show with myself, Seth, and OJ. We talked a lot about this team, about the future, about the quarterback, about a lot of things on that uh, radio show, and now available on the 560 podcast app. Also, check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ. You guys know about that show by now. They had Irving Fryer on last week. Fantastic podcast, and now this week they're going to have... James McKnight. Can't wait to hear that. Check out our YouTube channel for our videos, Dolphins Today, Dolphins Media Availabilities as well. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, Fins up and Caroline, Daddy, is coming home.